This week on Dual Citizens, episode 10, we close our first season with two big stories. The fall of Brian Houston and what lessons we can all learn. And the New South Wales Parliament debates euthanasia. What do we need to know and what can we do? Well, the founder of Hillsong, Brian Houston, has come under intense scrutiny for two incidents that are clear breaches of Hillsong's own pastor's code of conduct. Hillsong, which was founded in Australia, has congregations all over the world with an average global attendance of 150,000 believers. The church has taken a comforting, feel-good approach with celebrity members like Justin Bieber giving it an attractive reputation that is modern, upbeat, and we're told in step with popular culture. Could it be, however, that Brian Houston has now wrecked that reputation? Earlier this year, we reported that Houston, age 67, stepped down from his position as global pastor of Hillsong in order to concentrate on his upcoming prosecution for, it is alleged, failing to report to the appropriate authorities when he discovered that his father, Frank Houston, had abused a boy. But now Houston is facing other allegations about his own behavior. Last Friday morning, his replacement as global pastor, Phil Dooley, told an online meeting of staff from all over the world about not one, but two incidents of serious misbehavior spanning back almost a decade. The first incident was back in 2013 when Houston sent a series of inappropriate text messages to a female staff member at Hillsong. Dooley described them as words to the effect of, I'll quote here, if I was with you, I'd like to kiss and cuddle you. In a follow-up statement issued by the Hillsong board, we learned that at the time of this 2013 episode, Houston was under the influence of sleeping tablets, which he had developed an addiction to, that the church later helped him overcome. The staff member was apologized to by Brian and the Hillsong board and compensated for two months of salary and her donations to the church uh, refunded. Houston was described as extremely remorseful and we're told got professional help for his dependency. We're told that that help was successful. However, in 2019, Houston was involved in another incident, this time at the annual Hillsong Conference at the Kudos Bank Arena in Homebush here in Sydney. According to Phil Dooley, Houston met with a woman in a hotel who was not a member of the congregation, but was attending the conference. Dooley said, and again here I quote directly, it was after one of the conference nights and he, that's Brian, was drinking with a group. He carries on. Later that evening, Pastor Brian attempted to get into his room, but didn't have his room key and ended up knocking on the door to the woman's room. She opened the door and he went into her room. The truth is we don't know what happened next. The woman has not said there was any sexual activity. Brian has said there was no sexual activity, but he was in the room for 40 minutes. The Hillsong board later clarified that during the event, he was prescribed with a higher than recommended dose of anti-anxiety medication, which had mixed with the alcohol that Houston had been drinking. Now, what do we make of this? Well, I guess like me, you're shocked. I'm shocked by a number of things. First, most obviously, by the behavior itself. The first incident seems to be fully understood. 
The second, not so much. But I think it's important that we are absolutely clear because the statement by the board doesn't actually do full justice to what happened here. So let's lay it out. Houston was drunk. He drank knowing that he had medication in his system. And it does appear that he was in a group from Hillsong that were drinking. Then, worse for wear, he claims that he couldn't find his room key. So, rather than going to the reception desk, he chooses to get into the hotel lift and chooses to proceed to the room of a woman that he's only met that day. He chooses to knock on her door and chooses to enter and chooses to stay for 40 minutes. 40 minutes. I mean, that is outrageous. That is outrageous for any man to do, let alone a husband, let alone someone who is one of the most famous pastors in the world. And even if you believe Houston's claim that there was no sexual activity, it is still inexcusable behavior. And we need to be clear, it was inexcusable long before he walked through her door. Think about this for a minute. How did he have her room number in the first place? And then the hypocrisy of Houston publicly rebuking disgraced Hillsong New York pastor Carl Lentz last year. It does beg the question, doesn't it? What else is going to come out over the coming weeks? If, if many years of pastoral ministry have taught me anything, it's that these incidents are rarely isolated events. I, I dread what we might yet learn. But it's not just Houston that's at fault. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the board's actions because the way they have handled this starts alarm bells ringing. First, they've now acknowledged that they knew about this text messaging back in 2013. They knew back then that Houston had behaved in a manner utterly unacceptable for a man in his position. But rather than dealing with the matter properly, they kept it quiet and allowed Houston to continue in ministry instead of standing him down at the point which, frankly, they would have been completely justified in doing. The scriptures are clear. So 1 Timothy 3, for example, verse 1. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, and, and it goes on. Or how about Titus 1.6? An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, and Paul continues there as well. Now, please note here, on both occasions that Paul writes about the requirements for those in leadership in the church, he insists that they hold to the highest standards. The words used are about what their behavior looks like to the outsider. And the first area of behavior, specific behavior, he then turns to on both occasions is faithfulness to their wife. The dual citizen sees clearly in the scriptures that heavenly standards need to be observed by our neighbors here on earth. And that begins with zealously protecting my marriage and honoring my bride. I am very grateful for the minister who began my training back in London. It was just before I married my own wife 21 years ago. He looked me straight in the eye and he said, David, uh, you're heading into full-time paid ministry. If your marriage is ever badly damaged and it's your fault, and it probably will be, then please have the integrity to step down from the pulpit and never enter it again. It doesn't mean that someone can't be forgiven, but it does mean that the basic requirement for pastoral leadership is irreparably breached. 
and the Hillsong board knew in 2013. And they knew again in 2019. They knew far, far worse. And yet Houston was allowed to continue in his position. Houston, who having got the room number of a woman that wasn't his wife, got drunk and then went to that room and spent 40 minutes there. But the board allowed him to continue in leadership. And they only disclosed any of this almost three years later when it seems, well, it was obvious then that the story was going to come out. The past few weeks have seen a number of resignations in both the Hillsong board and the eldership. Something was clearly going on at the highest levels there. We ought also to consider what voice the statement made in last Friday's global Zoom meeting gives to the lady in the second incident. Again, here's exactly what they said after reporting that Houston entered her room. Listen carefully. The truth is, we don't know what happened next. The woman has not said that there was any sexual activity. Brian has said there was no sexual activity, but he was in the room for 40 minutes. So, notice that Houston's denial is privileged here over what is perhaps her quite understandable silence or some other report that she made. See, who knows exactly what she said? We're not told. We're told what she didn't say. But we are told what Houston said. His voice gets heard. Now, remember, this is not a criminal complaint. This is not something where the matter needs to be proven beyond any reasonable doubt. This is about the balance of the evidence. And we've really only been given one side. We've been given the denial of a man who we know for sure was drunk, had the room number of a woman that was not his wife, and who then went to that room and spent 40 minutes there. And the board knew this in 2019. But it took until 2022, when the story was going to come out for them, to deal with it in anything approaching the proper manner. Now, granted, the board statement goes on to acknowledge that having so much power in the hands of a single leader, quote, needs to be reviewed. They insist that they endeavoured to act biblically and in accordance with good governance. But I can't help returning to what seems to me to be undeniable. They knew back in 2013 what he was like. They had it more than confirmed in 2019. But it only got dealt with publicly in 2022, despite the fact that this was all being grappled with when Houston stood down earlier this year for what they insist were other factors. And the repeated theme in incidents like this is secrecy. Christian leaders fail morally and in the most awful ways, ways that the scriptures clearly point out disqualify them from further ministry. And instead of dealing with things properly, they are handled behind closed doors. Houston was investigated by board members, those from the inner circle, someone upon whom they, they owed their position there to him. Very much, of course, in the same way that Houston himself investigated his own father's crimes. Real repentance is not afraid to acknowledge sin and to acknowledge it publicly. King David famously does that, exactly that in Psalm 51. Listen, listen to his words, Psalm 51 verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. You see, note the link. The joy of forgiveness results in a 
public declaration so that others will also know what repentance and forgiveness will look like. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, your ways of mercy when people repent. But all too often in the church, we don't do this. And please don't think I am singling Hillsong out. Far from it. I have heard too many accounts much closer to home and they sound very similar. We don't call leaders to account even when it is clear to us that they have abused their positions of leadership. We persuade ourselves that we're maintaining the reputation of the church and the gospel, not understanding that the church is built on a gospel of confession and forgiveness. We allow bullies to continue in their jobs and we close ranks on them. And then we even get their victims to sign non-disclosure agreements because, well, we're afraid that the truth will be set free. It is simply not good enough. What's the point of our representing the greater citizenship of heaven if our standards fall even below those of the earth that we live in? The dual citizen ought to expect and insist upon far, far better from our church leaders. Well, in other news, the great state of New South Wales in which this humble podcast is being recorded is once again facing a political push for voluntary assisted dying. Uh, VAD it's called, or, or patient assisted suicide, or euthanasia, or whatever other name you might choose to refer to the deliberate taking of human life. Supporters of this, of course, do tend not to like it being described in such accurate terms. Now, keen observers may uh, remember that the Voluntary Assisted Dying Bill 2021 passed the Legislative Assembly, that's the New South Wales Lower House, in November last year after members debated the legislation and its 167 proposed amendments over four sitting days. Uh, now sent to the Upper House, a report by the Legislative Council Standing Committee on Law and Justice was released in February before the first sitting day of Parliament. Uh, in its report, the committee elected not to take a position on the bill, with the committee members split on whether to endorse it. The indecision of the committee sets the scene for a fortnight of heated debate in the Legislative Council. It will sit from Tuesday to Thursday, both this week when we're filming and next week, and the voluntary assisted dying legislation is sure to be tabled over that period. The outcome of the impending vote is difficult to predict. It's likely that, as in the lower house, the bill will be subject to a large number of amendments, encounter lengthy debate, and take a significant amount of parliamentary time. It will probably get a final vote sometime in May. Now, supporters harbour concerns that the passage of the bill will be curtailed by this lengthy debate and the Legislative Council limitations on time allowed for private members' bills. Well, let's zoom out from the political scene just a little bit. Uh, New South Wales is the only state in Australia to have not passed a law allowing euthanasia. Uh, the only state uh, since similar legislation came into effect in Victoria in 2019, other states have rushed to catch up with euthanasia quickly becoming legal everywhere except New South Wales and the territories where the federal government has jurisdiction. Only a handful of other jurisdictions in the world have so far legalised euthanasia, including Canada, the Netherlands, Belgium, Portugal and a couple of US states. Thankfully, New South Wales has previously twice rejected similar bills. This time, things could turn out differently. 
With the nation's activists now fixated upon goings-on in the New South Wales Legislative Council, several marches and protests are planned for the next few weeks and pressure is sure to be fixed upon New South Wales politicians that are sitting on the fence about this issue. There is much we can do as Christian believers to make sure that the sanctity of life is maintained in our state, and more on that a little bit later. It is perhaps worth reminding ourselves why euthanasia is such a sticking point for many of us as Christians and responsible members of society. There are, of course, a raft of good reasons to reject it, both ethical and uh, theological. Uh, we don't have time to cover this in detail here, but I do want to point you to three excellent resources. The first is a 2018 piece by Presbyterian Minister Mark Powell in The Spectator called 10 Non-Religious Reasons Against Euthanasia. The second is the submission of Professor Margaret Somerville to the New South Wales Parliament Committee on the bill. And the final one is an online evening event we held right here in Parramatta at St John's as part of our Cathedral Conversation series. We've put links to all three in the show notes and I do commend them to you. They're worth spending the time on. So, what objections to euthanasia are there? Well, plenty. It constitutes a fundamental change to medical ethics. We're turning doctors whose primary commitment is to do no harm into those who end life. Already in other jurisdictions, there are doctors, and I hesitate to even use that label there, who now effectively specialize in taking life. The scheme is open to abuse, coercion, and sadly, individuals requesting self-termination because they mistakenly don't want to be a burden. Once euthanasia becomes legal, it becomes normalized. And it won't be long until some are effectively being asked why they're not making this choice. Of course, the pressure that that asking comes in many different ways, particularly when a life is considered for whatever reason, including various disabilities of being, well, less worth preserving. There's also the genuine issue of bracket creep. See, although the initial possible scope of those who can receive euthanasia may be limited, the range can only increase as it certainly has done in other places. For example, we're now seeing teenagers with anorexia being euthanized, and that long before their condition is actually terminal. And there's plenty more. Again, go, please go read uh, and access the linked uh, resources. Uh, what about our theological objections? Well, the primary one must simply be that every human being is made in the image of God. When a life is taken, it is not simply a bundle of cells. It's not just a bag of fizzing chemicals whose worth is determined by some measure of productivity or whatever is cost-effective to continue. It is a precious individual made by God with infinite value. Since so many vulnerable people will be at risk of a premature death, not of their own free choice, but under some form of compulsion or coercion, we ought also to be advocating strongly for their protection. Christians have long been known for caring for those that society cast aside. Here is now another group that needs our protection and our advocacy. And it's also worth reflecting what our rush to euthanasia says about our society's relationship with pain and suffering. We are so scared of hardship, aren't we? We're so used to having what we want, when we want it, and we want it as easily as possible. 
So when pain and suffering comes, we move heaven and earth to avoid it. I mean, look at the past two years and how we would do anything to avoid COVID. Uh, yes, precautions were necessary, but so often our expectation is that we could and should be protected from this struggle. It was far too great an expectation. Euthanasia is the natural outworking of such a fear of suffering. Not, not that suffering is good, but the gospel of the cross of Jesus surely gives a framework for understanding suffering better and for re-engaging with it. The cross of Jesus teaches us that suffering, while bad, can also have wonderful things come from it. To, to endure suffering in hope is something remarkable. Of course, the gospel provides such hope. I, I can persist in trouble when I know that the future is secure. But if there is no hope, then the suffering I face is, well, all I can see. And if that really is all there is, then no wonder people despair and seek to escape. But the dual citizen, well, we know better. We know that there is life beyond death. We know that in the resurrection of Jesus, there is a sure and certain hope for the future. So what can we do? Well, now is the time to get in touch with parliamentarians and particularly with those in the Legislative Council, the upper house of the New South Wales Parliament. Email them. Better yet, write them a letter. In the days of electronic communication, a letter carries far more weight. And we should also ask to go and visit our representatives, ask to have a cup of tea with them and urge them to oppose this bill. Give them good reasons why. You see, many members simply haven't thought this through properly. Let's give them every reason to think again. Otherwise, they will often do what's easiest and simply go with the flow. Now is the moment for dual citizens to make a difference and I urge us all to do just that. Lives are truly at stake. Well, that's almost the end of not simply another episode of Dual Citizens, but actually our first entire season. How, how was it for you? We're going to take a short break, but this Dual Citizen is going to get his, well, one of his passports out and take a long-awaited trip to see family overseas. Uh, while I'm away, there is other news definitely worth keeping an eye on. Uh, the husband of late Senator Kimberly Kitching did not hold back at her funeral, saying she had better moral judgment than what he called the cantankerous cabal who opposed her. Uh, this follows calls by many in federal politics for an inquiry into the treatment of Senator Kitching before her death, with many pointing to a toxic culture amongst colleagues that may have contributed to the heart attack that took her life. Believe all women certainly doesn't seem to be happening this time. Uh, the Herald has produced a survey uh, exploring the damages of COVID-19 lockdowns on 16 to 25 year olds, 82% of whom experienced mental health issues. Uh, the 25 and older group had a much lower rate of 49%, while 11% of the younger category attributed COVID as an exacerbating factor. Uh, the government is set to release a multi-hundred million dollar health plan in response integrating schools and mental health services. Of course, we keep looking over uh, towards Europe. Almost 10,000 Russian soldiers now perhaps have been killed in the invasion of Ukraine and nearly 16,000 wounded. The president of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky, urges direct talks with Putin to resolve the conflict. Chernobyl workers have been given leave on site, the first since the invasion started. And Josep Borrell, the European Union foreign affairs chief, has new plans to develop a European Union rapid deployment capacity of up to 5,000 soldiers for future European crises. We just need to keep watching that one, don't we? 
what else is going on? World Athletics President Sebastian Coe has called for integrity and new rules for women's sports to stop men from dominating female events. This has been sparked after athlete Leah Thomas won the NCAA, that's the um, college, University College Association swimming title for the 500-yard freestyle in America. Um, uh, Thomas, of course, uh, a trans woman, formerly um, a man, blew away the biological women in that event. And protests and criticisms have been aimed at Prince William and Duchess Kate ahead of their visit to Jamaica. On Tuesday, a coalition of Jamaican human rights and equality activists have called on the Queen and the UK government to apologize for the ramifications of colonialism. An open letter has been signed by prominent politicians, business leaders, doctors and musicians, and there's been a protest outside the British High Commission. Well, when Dual Citizens returns, I'm sure we're going to be taking a look at those stories and whatever else the news brings us. In the meantime, I would love to hear from you, please. What's been your favourite show in Series 1? What, what do you want to see more of? I'd also appreciate it if you go and review us on iTunes. That really helps spread the news about Dual Citizens. Please do share our video and audio episodes, the YouTube and podcast channels, and reach out on the socials. Thank you for your support over season one. It's been wonderful doing this with you. I'm David Old, and this is Jewel Citizens.